1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be spending some time here in 1 Timothy. We'll also flip over to Acts 6. So if you'd like, you can go ahead and flip over there and mark that uh, in your Bible. 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 6. So we'll be starting here in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we have testified through song this evening, you are worthy of worship. You alone are worthy of worship. It is our privilege to gather as the church and to worship, to lift you up. And Father, we pray even in this hour as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that your spirit would work through your word in a mighty way in each and every one of our lives that you would mold us, that you would challenge us, that you would change us according to your word for your purposes. We pray that distractions would fade away, that we'd focus in, that the word of God would be applied to our hearts and to our lives. Give me boldness and authority to proclaim the truth of the word of God with clarity. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our series on the church... This is a series we've been working through on Sunday nights. It was supposed to be our theme for the year. We were supposed to start uh, the first month, and, and on the first Sunday night of, of every month, we were going to look at a different aspect of the church. That got derailed quickly with COVID. Um, we got off track with that, but now that we are back and meeting, I, I, did, I did not want to just move on and ignore what our theme for the year was. And so we've come back around now to this theme. We're working our way through the church. Uh, We started a few weeks ago looking at the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Uh, Then we saw the makeup of the church. We saw the church is not for uh, the perfect person, but the church is for those who are redeemed. Then uh, we saw the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to gather, to grow together in Christ, to worship, and to uh, go to the world with the gospel. Last week, Pastor Craig had walked us through uh, the first office of the church, pastor. And this evening, we'll see the second office of the church, the deacon. As we come to 1 Timothy 3, it's a familiar passage. 1 Timothy 3. Starting uh, in verse 8 and going through verse 13, says this. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacon, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. As we look at this passage in Acts 6 this evening, we'll we'll answer three questions. Who is a deacon? What does he do, and why does a deacon do it? 
who he is, what he does, and why he does it. First thing we see here in 1 Timothy 3 is who he is. Notice the first word of verse 8 is likewise. You may recognize this passage. This is the same passage that Pastor Craig had had us in last week. He had us in verses 1 to 7, talking about the, the qualifications of a pastor. Paul, as he transitions now to talk about the deacon, starts with this word, likewise, in like manner. And what you'll notice as you work your way through these verses is that the main difference between a pastor and a deacon is a difference of gifting and calling, not a difference of character. It's a difference of gifting and of calling, not of character. Likewise, deacons must be, as you go through these verses, he describes several characteristics of a deacon. He must be reverent. He must be dignified. He must be respectable is the idea. He must be not double-tongued. He must be a man who is sincere, a man who is honest, a man who says what he means and means what he says. A deacon must not be someone who, who makes promises with no intent to keep them. He must not be a man who speaks one way when he's in front of someone and, some, and a different way when he's in front of someone else. He's not double-tongued. He is sincere. He's honest. Thirdly, he's not given to much wine. In fact, the next two kind of, go to give it, kind of go together. Not given to much wine, not greedy for money. He's a man of self-control. He's a man who has control of himself. He's not given too much wine. There's not something outside of him that controls him. He's not greedy for money. He's not controlled by alcohol. He's not controlled by money. The deacon is a man of self-control. You could spend a lot of time talking about the issue of, of wine and of alcohol. You could spend a lot of time talking about how the reason that, that Paul would include that is because wine in that day was a lot different than wine in our day. But what's behind it is a need for self-control. A deacon, like a pastor, must be a man who is self-controlled. Both when it comes to what he eats and what he drinks and when it comes to what he does with his money. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. A deacon is not required to be skilled in teaching. Notice verse 9 doesn't say preaching the mystery of faith. Proclaiming the mystery of faith, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, but holding it. He's not required to be skilled in teaching or in preaching, but he must know and understand what it is that he believes. A deacon must know and be able to defend and to at least articulate what it is that he believes. What is the gospel? What are you clinging to? With a pure conscience. Verse 10 goes on, but let these also first be tested. Similar to what Paul says about a pastor, not a novice, but experienced. 
Someone who's not new to the faith, but someone who has grown in Christ, who is mature. Notice that experience comes with age, but wisdom comes from the Word of God. He must hold the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. He must know the Word of God. He must be a man who loves the Word of God. And really, to know the Word of God, you have to be a man who is not a novice. Someone who has been tested. Someone who who has felt loss and pain and had nowhere else to turn but to run to the Word of God. Someone who has walked through those valleys. Someone who has walked through those trials. And let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Not sinless. But blameless. Above reproach. I love the illustration. My, my father-in-law one time was speaking on, I think it was pastor, and he took that word blameless and he used the idea of you can throw something against a wall, but it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Nothing, no uh, charge can stick against him. He is blameless. What's interesting is here in verse 11, though, the apostle turns his attention to wives of deacons. Their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And that's interesting because in the first seven verses, Paul doesn't bring up the wives of pastors. I think that's purposeful. Because the primary duty of a pastor, his wife is not able to participate in that, right? In the proclaiming of the word of God, the preaching. But a deacon's wife is very active in his primary duty of service. Their wives must be reverent. That's why a lot of these line up with the uh, qualifications of a deacon. Reverent or respectable, not slanderous. Someone who is kind, someone who is trustworthy. Someone who is temperate or or self-controlled. Someone who is faithful in all things, reliable. A deacon's wife will be intimately involved in her, in her husband's ministry. Deacon ministry is a ministry of serving tables. It's a ministry of making meals. It's a ministry of, of raking leaves and cleaning houses and washing windows. It's a ministry in which husband and wife serve together. Verse 12, Paul returns to the deacon himself. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, a one-woman man, a man who has not been divorced. But that has the idea of, it goes beyond just divorce. Are you a one-woman man? You can be a one, you cannot be a one-woman man and not be divorced. This goes well beyond that. the husband of one wife and he is faithful to that wife he's a one woman man ruling their children and their own houses well again very similar to the qualifications for a pastor because a man who is neglecting his main responsibility as a husband and father cannot be trusted with the responsibility of a church the responsibility of a deacon so we come through the first Several verses there, verses 8 to 12, and I know, I know that I, I flew through that. 
We've been in this passage before. This is not something that is new to us. I just want to remind us of those qualifications. But that describes who a deacon is. His qualifications. And as I noted at the beginning, the main difference between a pastor and a deacon is a difference of gifting and calling, not of character. So too, now I want to call your attention to this fact. That the requirements of a deacon are merely the expectations of a mature Christian. Any man can be a deacon. You do not have the excuse that I cannot be a deacon because God has not called me to it. There's no gifting here. This is not an issue of gifting or of calling. It's an issue of character. Because if you are not reverent, then you're dealing with sin issues. If you are double-tongued, if you are given to much wine, if you are greedy for money, you're dealing with sin issues. Qualifications of a deacon have nothing to do with gifting. It's an issue of character. There are some qualifications that might be outside of your control. There's qualifications with wives here. It's possible for there to be a divorce that was outside of your control. But for the most part, any man can be a deacon. Because these are not issues of gifting. These are issues of character. You cannot write a passage like 1 Timothy 3 off saying, well, I'm not a deacon. I don't need to worry about that. If you are a Christian man or woman, you need to worry about that. This is who you should be, who you should be striving to be. Requirements of a deacon are the expectations of a mature Christian man. So who is a deacon? He's any man who is walking with Christ, who is growing in the Lord, who meets these qualifications. Secondly, what does he do? What does he do? This is where we'll turn over to Acts chapter 6. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. I would see Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, as the laying the groundwork for the ministry of deacons. This is where it is founded and it grows from here. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7 says this, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among, your, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What's interesting, as you look through the New Testament, there's not a lot of information on deacons. In fact, there's only two, two passages that deal with it, and we've looked at both of them tonight. Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. There's no passage that tells us this is exactly what a deacon is to do. We have Acts 6, which I believe tells us about the founding of the ministry of deacons. And then we have 1 Timothy 3 that tells us about what a deacon looks like. And it's from those that we piece together, okay, then what does a deacon do? Here in Acts 6, we see that a deacon serves. This is a ministry that arose out of a need. As the church was growing, as it was expanding, as the gospel was going forth powerfully, needs started to arise. Things got beyond the control of the apostles and the pastors and the prophets. So in Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, we have a solution. And notice, verse 2, notice that it's not the apostles, it's not the, the pastor. It's not the prophets who who set aside and choose these men. It is the church. The twelve brings together the church. Their instruction, verse 3, Brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. He leaves it up. They leave it up to the church. You go and seek out from among yourselves men of good reputation. Men who can fill this need. Men who will serve in this capacity. Why? So that the apostles and the leaders go and faithfully fulfill their ministry of prayer, of preaching, the truth of the word of God. It becomes clear here in Acts 6 that the ministry of a deacon is a ministry of service. Literally, the idea is to wait tables. To do things that need to be done. Our deacons function in this manner. Our deacons take care of the finances of our church. Our deacons take care of the property that we are on. They make sure that the lights are on. They make sure that things are running. Our deacons take care of needs that arise throughout the congregation as we split them up into deacon groups so they can better care. They are men and women, deacons and wives, who are involved in the ministry of service. To the end, that the gospel may go forth. In fact, what we see here in Acts 6, I think is a very simple truth that could be brought down to this, that great deacons make good pastors. Great deacons make good pastors. 
when deacons are fulfilling their responsibility, the pastor is able to fulfill his responsibility, to focus specifically on what God has called him to. But don't get confused. Deacon ministry is gospel ministry. It may not feel like it. It may not feel like it when, when, when the deacon is exhausted, when his hands are dirty, when he constantly is serving and getting no recognition. He may not be able to stand up and to expound upon and to proclaim the gospel from the pulpit, but they preach the gospel every day with their service in the congregation. They preach the gospel every day with their lives as they faithfully serve as deacons. Deacon ministry is gospel ministry. And as deacons serve faithfully, pastors are able to serve faithfully. As you then look at 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 6, we come to our final question, why does he do it? Who is he? What he does? And why he does it. I'll start actually in Acts 6, since that's where we are. Acts 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and a number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Deacons serve so that the gospel can go forth. We already touched on that. Deacon ministry is gospel ministry. They serve for the sake of Christ, they serve for the sake of the gospel, they serve for the good of the church. I find it interesting that verse 7 follows the passage on the calling of what I would see as these first deacons. It is once they are called, once they are serving, at that point, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Because now, as deacons serve faithfully in their ministry, the apostles and the pastors are able to pray, able to spend time in the ministry of the word and the gospel goes out through the lives of the deacons and the lives and the preaching of the pastors. And the church stands out as a beacon of hope in a dark world. They serve. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Secondly, turn back to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 3. We'll look at verse 13. There's a reward for deacons. Verse 13 of 1 Timothy 3, for those who have served well as deacons. Notice the word well there. Paul is not settling for, for just, you, you get into your deacon, then you just settle into your job and, and, and your responsibilities, your ministry, and, and you just kind of get by. He's calling for excellence in this ministry. As you serve, serve well. And those who do serve well, those who serve excellency, who fulfill the ministry that they have been called to, that the church has called them to as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing. A good standing. A good reputation. Good standing in the church and in the community and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. The reward for a faithful deacon is respect and boldness. Respect in the church and boldness in your Christian life. You may say, well, why boldness? That seems kind of like an odd thing. 
if I was thinking about this, I, I think it simply comes down to this. As you as a deacon serve faithfully, as you walk with people uh, through their difficulty, when, when, when things come up, when life gets hard, when problems come up and deacons are called into service time and time again, what do they find? That time and time again, God is faithful. God is faithful in these struggles. He's faithful in these problems. He's faithful in this issue over here. And in your time as a deacon, you look back and you can say, I saw God do that. I saw God do that. I saw God do that. And I will never forget when God did that. And as you see those things, as you have a front row seat to God working in the lives of others, you grow in your boldness. You cannot help but share what God has done. So deacons, the reward is respect and boldness. A healthy church has pastors who faithfully fulfill their ministry. But you cannot have a healthy church without deacons who also faithfully fulfill their ministry. Churches need good deacons. And as I say that, don't just think of your deacons now. Because as I mentioned earlier, you have a responsibility as well. These are issues of character. You should strive to be qualified. You should strive to, to be Deacon ready. Because you're not just a deacon when the church calls you a deacon. This is a lifestyle. A deacon is always a deacon. They always serve. It's not just when the church calls them. They are always serving. They may have a specific ministry, a specific calling by the church at some time or the other but they're still serving even when they're not called by the church because that's who they are, because they are godly men walking with Christ, because they love one another and because they serve. So as we come to a conclusion, two points. First, serve. I would encourage you to serve. It is a privilege to be a deacon. It's a privilege. And as the opportunity comes in the next month, as we are um, doing our ballots, nominating men, if you are nominated, don't just write it off. If you are nominated, don't just look at your schedule and say, I can't do it. Maybe you can rearrange things. Maybe you can reorder your priorities. Now, it does not mean that you should disregard your responsibilities. God has given you responsibilities. But if you are able to serve, you should pursue it. Because it is a privilege to serve. Now I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy. You can talk to your deacons now and they will tell you it, it, it's, it's exhausting. At least once a month, you have to give up several hours of your time for deacons' meetings. You have to be willing to, to get involved in people's lives. It's exhausting. 
but it's worth it. It's worth it if you serve well, and it is an honor. So serve. Secondly, thank. Thank your deacons. God has blessed us with excellent deacons here at Altoona Regular Baptist Church. They put in a lot of time with very little recognition. But there is very little that goes on in this church that does not somehow have our deacons' fingerprints on it. I praise God for the faithful deacons that we have. I praise God for the faithful deacons that we've had all the years that I've been here as pastor and as assistant pastor. As I look back over the last five years, every year God has blessed us with faithful deacons. Praise the Lord for that. In fact, with that being said, I would ask that our deacons and wives would come forward if able. Mark and Rhonda Colligan, Ron and Stella Harris, Eric and Michelle Knight, Larry and Kay Matson, Ken and Clay Rathbun, Kevin and Robin Talley, and Caleb and Chloe Talley. If you are here and if you are able, will you please come and just line up across the front here? It is an honor to serve as deacon, and it's an honor for us as your church to recognize you as excellent deacons. A few weeks ago, and I realized that this was going to, that we were going to be looking at deacons, and that it was going to, I did, I did not mean to line it up with the pie and tie, but when I realized it was going to fall on this night, uh, we... Um, sent an email out to the church asking them if they would give a little bit so we could honor you, give you a gift, say thank you. Uh, and so we've got some flowers that we will give our deacon wives. And we've got cards here written from people in your deacon group. And there's a, a gift card, a little gift for you, uh, just to honor you and to say thank you. It's our privilege to have you serve as our deacons. And you do an excellent job. And you truly are worthy of honor. So thank you very much.